Hey you, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Andrew Scott, Chris Murphy, Jay Ferguson, and Patrick Penland, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob, this is Ken. Ken, how was that intro, man? Because I feel like in the last episode, I was a little overexcited. It sounded like I gulped like in a 32-ounce Tahiti treat or something. How do you feel about that? I felt as though the intro was pretty together, to be honest. Um, this is going to be an action-packed episode, so mm. I think that you found the perfect balance between the two. Amazing, buddy. Well, I have another question for you, Ken. When you go to see Sloan Live, there might be a coat check involved. You may need to uh, you know, get a drink, go to the bathroom. But before the show begins, where do you generally go? And where do you go after the show ends? I like to loiter around the merch table. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and you know what? Speaking of, uh, if you've been to a show, at least I, mean, I want to say in at least the last decade or so, uh, if you've been to a Sloan show and you've bought something at the merch table, you've definitely met our guest on this episode, Mr. Jay Coyle. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for being on. It's great to see you, man. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm like first question to get it out of the way. How are you doing? I'm actually very doing very well. I'm very fortunate awesome. that the pandemic hit and obviously we, we had to cut our, our tour short um, and all the other bands that I work with and all the other stuff that I do is remote anyways. Um, so I didn't really skip a beat. You know, it just it shut us down as a, as a family for a little bit. You know, we were not able to go out and all those are things that everybody else does. Um, but I cannot really cannot complain. Can't. I've been Amazing. very fortunate. And I'm curious, I feel uh, guilty not even knowing this, but where are you in the world? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I moved here in 07 uh, by way of Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Athens, Georgia, by way of Rochester, New York. So. All right. Amazing. And I don't know if you know this, but you're actually the seed uh, of how this podcast even came to be, because I think it was December 18th, uh, Toronto at the Phoenix. I think for some reason you weren't able to be at the show. Correct. And I somehow got, I was lucky enough. I got the job. I got to work the merch table <laughs> that night. And uh, this tall uh, gentleman from Ottawa came up to the table and he was wearing a never hear the, a homemade never hear the end of it t-shirt. That was so, official. I'm just going to put that out there. That was an official Sloan piece of merch. <laughs> well, okay. Well, anyway, uh, we can argue about that later. But anyway, uh, so he, you know, it was like love at first sight. And I'm like, this is my dude. That's and awesome. I, I think we t- started talking about that album. And we, and I think we mentioned this on the pod before, but like he said something to me, like, what's your favorite song on the album? And I'm like, another way I could do it. And it was just like, boom. Okay. These yeah. guys were buds yeah. forever. And I think we found each other online and we've been chatting online, blah, 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 over the, over the years, just sloning oh, out and freaking cool. out and fanning out. And then obviously last year, I'm just like, Hey man, I'm not doing anything. Are you let's talk about Sloan and see if anybody wants to listen. So here we are. So you are the kernel of uh, the, the fact oh. that this show exists. So thank you. I, I love to hear that. If, if only because obviously, you know, my favorite, seriously, my favorite thing in life is people connecting through music. I wouldn't be who I was if it wasn't for music. And obviously, you know, I have in my stories, too, I have those moments where I've met people. And in in fact, Mike Nelson and Chris Murphy, I when I met them, the same kind of thing. Like, I was like, oh, I really like this guy. And I'm lucky that it turned into friendship and into business. So. I can speak for Ken and say we both feel really lucky, too. And we're lucky to have you on the show uh, this episode. So thanks again for being cool. here, man. Sure. Uh, speaking of your story, you know, uh, why don't you just uh, help the listeners out? Tell us a bit about yourself, maybe your musical origin story, how you find yourself working in the music biz. You mentioned a moment ago all the other bands you work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, before I get into that, I'll start with let's go back to the beginning. Um, so I grew up in Rochester, New York. I still consider that my hometown. And obviously, if anybody knows New York State, I l- sat across from Toronto on like Ontario. 
So growing up as a kid, Canadian rock was all all over our station. So mm. I was turned on to April Wine. I was turned on to Rush. I was turned on to Saga. I was turned on, like all these bands were being played. And, uh, you know, obviously when I was there, I, I graduated high school in 1986. Um, but I fell in love with Toronto. I fell in love with Canada. Uh, I, I The only sport that I really cared to watch or go to was hockey. Um, so, like... I always felt more akin to a Canadian person. Not that I wasn't American. I'm, I still am, obviously. Um, but po- point in case, when I went to school, University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia, um, meeting people there, I would have to explain to them, actually, yes, I'm from New York. I've only been in New York City twice, but I've been to Toronto about 15 times. Like every year, I would several times a year, I would go up to Toronto and just to go to Young Street and go into the head shops and buy a pair of merch. I literally went to Canada to buy merch. That's what I, any band that I liked, I'd go there. I'd go to Sam the Record Man. I'd go to every place I could to, to soak in Canadian music culture. Like that's how much I loved it. Uh, but anyway, so growing up there, I uh, started playing drums at the age of 11. First band I ever mm-hmm. fell in love with, with, with the, was the Beatles. First record I ever bought was Help. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking about this today, uh, walking my dog this morning, you know, I get asked a lot about why I became a drummer. And ironically, I became a drummer only because I wanted to sing behind the guitarist and behind the, the music. And that's what the drums do. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is like, I would sing along to all the Beatles records and I would sing, you know, sit there and I never honed in on Ringo's parts, but I <laughs> wanted to play the parts so that I could listen to John and Paul and George. Right. Fast forward to like that was gosh, I don't even know how old I was. I was probably six or seven, uh, early seventies. Um, but then I fell in love with Kiss and fell in love with the Sweet and fell in love with these great bands, with, you know, like that had harmonies and and were, were melodies and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. And so I wanted to kind of serve the song as a drummer. And then the first band that did it for me as like okay, I want to play drums was the Who. And I was a, a, a mm. obsessed with the Who, like all through the end ends of my grade school years. And so that was when I said, "Okay, I'm going to be a drummer." And so started a band in seventh grade, uh, you know, grade seven, as you would say, um, and just never looked back. But long story short, even my first record that I bought turned me on to not just the music, but the way that the band presented themselves. So looking at help, well, help is a soundtrack to a film. So instantly my brain was like, holy shit, like it's not just the music. It's not just these four guys, but look, I can see them in Technicolor. And so the, from that moment on, I always looked at how a band presented themselves, how they conducted themselves in interviews, the merch that they sold, like all of these things spoke to me so much bigger than just what the songs were. And there are times where I would maybe not fall in love with the band because the whole presentation wasn't there. Um, and that's kind of been the impetus to what I then ended up doing. And fast forwarding to uh, in 1985, when I started looking at schools that where I wanted to go to school, I wanted to first get away as far away as home from possible because I wanted to try something new and force myself into some new surroundings. But at the time, uh, and still one of my favorite bands was R.E.M., and they were in a college town that had a really great music scene. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to move there. And I didn't know anybody in the South. I didn't know anybody in the state of Georgia. And I was a Yankee through and through, um, <laughs> but I picked up my roots and I went down there and it was life changing. Uh, and I was instantly in a band. 
uh, started playing local clubs in Athens. Um, I ended up playing in three different bands throughout my time in school. And every band was more um, kind of serious than the other. And the last band I was in, I was graduating college. And I basically said, what do I want to do with my life? And I knew I wanted to do something with music. But even then, I knew I didn't want to do a mu- the musician thing because I didn't say it earlier. I'm not a songwriter. I don't write songs. I want to serve songs. Right. So because mm-hmm. of that mentality, I knew I wasn't going to be a songwriter. And the band that I was in, I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, our cool thing, we actually had a record come out for Record Story Day last year, which is very cool. The band was called The Violets in Athens. Um, and we loved playing and we had a great time, but none of us wanted to be a musician. So I knew it was kind of the end was near type of thing, but I couldn't figure out how to get into the music industry. And, um, all through my time at school, as Rob can attest to, I'm a very, you know, and anybody that's ever stepped at the, by the merch table, I, I will talk to you. I'm a gregarious outgoing person. So that has served me well, but I meet people very easily, but I'm most interested in, what I said earlier, like when people's lives are changed or, or motivated by music and how they connect to music is what's important to me. So I would find people like that. And typically I would meet bands and there'd be somebody in that band that I might connect with. And then I'll just ask them kind of what you just asked me. Hey, how did you know? What did you get? How did you get into this? And what did you do? And it's a genuine. I want to get to know them. Uh, and that love of getting to know those musicians then said, you know what, light bulb moment, I want to work with musicians, I don't want to be a musician. Uh, I still consider myself a musician. But, but the problem was, you know, in 1980, no, pardon me, in 1991, when I graduated college, there was no place for that in the music industry. Um, It was get a record label job or work as a grunt in a studio or work as a grunt uh, at a radio station. And, And I didn't want to do any of that. The saving grace was that I had a couple good friends that were in bands. One was signed to an independent label um, and had been touring as a musician. And he was kind of the conduit to suggest things to, hey, you should do this or you can do this to try to meet people. And so when I moved, I moved from Athens to Atlanta, Georgia, <clears throat> I just I just stayed connected to the scene. And I, and I met more and more and more and more people and continued to play drums and bands and did all that. But I guess I, I kind of resigned myself that I wasn't going to be uh, uh, in the music industry. And, and at the time it was fine. Um, but that ate away, uh, ate away at me. And I would fast forward the story until 2005. Um, and I had met dozens and dozens and dozens of industry people and finally had that moment where I lost a day job. And, uh, I said to my wife, I'm like, it's now or never, I got to shit or get off the pot if I'm going to try to make a go of this. But I also I, I didn't know what that looked like, but I spent a solid year networking, found an inroad uh, into a record label here, which was EMI in Nashville. And I got the after a year of pushing hard, I got the job. Long story short, that only lasted for 11 months because it was a record label job in the in the mid 2000s. And the music business was was bleeding uh, and just gashing blood and right. revenues were terrible. Mm. And so I wasn't going to be long for that. But what it did, it gave me credibility and it gave me insight and it gave me a knowledge to say, okay, now that I've kind of touched the record business, what can I do? And I go back to being the Kiss and the Beatles fanatic <clears throat> and being such a fan of the Who and what were those emotions and what what, I, what did I want most? And it was I wanted the connection to the band. So that's right around the time where this concept of direct to fan came out in terms of giving it a name. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to help artists 
connect directly with their fan base and figure out how to communicate and serve them. And yes, to be crass, it was how do you sell them tickets and how do you sell them merch and how do you sell them stuff? But knowing enough about the industry and who the bands were, they weren't making any money. So the only way they could make money is if they kind of built a cottage industry around themselves. And that was the light bulb moment. And so uh, ironically enough, I was friends with and had been friends for at that that moment, a decade with Stephen Page and Ed Robertson from Bare Naked Ladies. And I had Stephen and I had predominantly gone back and forth via email and then on um, in person at shows and stuff. And I just kept giving them like, why do you think this or why don't you do that? And just gave them ideas to the point that I remember vividly Stephen saying, you need to talk to our manager. Like you have some really good ideas. Would you talk to him? I'm like, absolutely. And so I sat, I had a meeting with Terry McBride, who was their manager at the time. And he basically said, I like the way you think. I like what you're talking about. The guys want to do something with you. Would you come on board as kind of an archivist and help us make sense of what we can do with the band's archive? So working with the Bare Ladies was really that first kind of uh, foray into how could this work as a, as a business. And I knew instantly that the, my version of work was going to be piecemeal, knowing that I could work with B&L and realistically I can work with a bunch of other bands. So um, they were managed by network management. Network management had an office here in Nashville. I befriended and still friends with the guy that ran the Nashville office here and so I pitched him the idea that said, hey, I do this for Bare Naked Ladies. They're on, they're on the roster of network. Let's find other bands that I could work with uh, to help them with their archives, to help them with direct-to-fan, to help them build a rapport with the audience. So that was the, the game plan. Uh, and for those years, I worked out of the network office and got to know the guys in Guster and got to know uh, a lot of other bands around the network world at the time, Jars of Clay being uh, local here. Uh, befriended the guys in Jars of Clay. Um, ironically, two guys in the band Jars of Clay are from Rochester, so I didn't even know that. And so we hit it off, being from the same hometown. Um, anyways, okay. that all came to an end because the band, if you know any history about B&L, they basically had a divorce in the band. And when the divorce happened and the band and Stephen Page left, I literally was the bastard child that was kind of said, well, there's no place for you anymore because that band was going to basically going to break down their business and build a new. So they did that, and I, I can't fault them to that. But that led me to be on the ship of B&L's uh, Ships and Dip Cruise, where Sloan was going to be on. And Sloan, right. was favorite, Sloan was one of my favorite bands at the time. And I had previously met uh, Chris Murphy on tour in Atlanta in 98 mm-hmm. on the Navy Blues tour. I think maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, it was 98. And then I met Mike Nelson in Nashville when I was still living in Atlanta at the never hear the end of it tour, pardon me, the action pack tour, um, in, Af- okay. in, in, in Nashville. So I had these kind of two touch points of the band. So when I get on the boat, I adore Sloan, cannot wait to be on the same boat with them. Uh, and I reconnect with both Chris and with Mike and, uh, just kind of said, Hey, what are you up to? And I was like, God, oh, this is what I do. And well, they didn't know this, but I knew it that, that was literally my last job with the band Berenick and ladies. So I went on the boat knowing when I left the boat, I didn't have a band anymore to work with. So it was not hard for me to go, Mike, we should talk. And so Mike and I on the boat talked for that whole week about my ideas and what I was doing and what I want to do. And Mike said, okay, there's something here. Let's, let's continue this conversation. And, and that literally was then how I got in. Now this is the truth. The God's honest truth. 
That was 12 years ago. Everything that I've done since then is because Mike Nelson said, hey, we should continue this conversation. So right. like, yes, BNL gave me my first kind of thing and I kind of formulated what I wanted to do, but it took Mike Nelson basically saying, there's enough of an idea here and there's a good fit personality wise that we could mm-hmm. see how this worked. Um, and then that June, I'll never forget it, June 2009, I sat down at a bar during an afternoon somewhere in Toronto with the guys and Mike. And they said, tell us what you, what you want to do. And it was like, I gave them my sales pitch. Here's what I envision. Here's what we can do. I had a whole document of things I wanted to do. And, you know, I would obviously something worked because the answer was, okay, let's, let's try to figure out how you can come on board. And so I was instantly part of the team and that's just the ball. So what, what I, what I love is that, and, and, Everybody knows me, if you've seen the band live in the last decade, they know me as mm-hmm. the merch guy. And that's fine. I'm totally fine with that. The reality is I'm part of the conversations and, and Mike is the manager, but there are times where Mike and I will have a conversation about how we should approach something. And there's times where, you know, I'm being not in Toronto, I'll be left out of certain things. And it's like, oh, yeah, gosh, we've got to bring Jay into this conversation. And that's fine, mm-hmm. too. But um, there's a lot of things that go on as a band's business that I learned from working alongside Mike, you know, and, and working alongside the four guys in the band and understand how they operate. And that's been the best case study and the best um, real life schooling I could have ever gotten. Uh, and through that, I've been able to work with literally dozens of other bands and teach music industry and teach artists to do what I do. Um, and I love that. So like Sloan gave me so much in terms of what I've been able to do as a business guy. Um, and they're my brothers and they're, I consider them family. And, uh, and at the same time, as Rob can attest to, I'm a total freaking nerd for the band. Like they were the, I love the <laughs> yeah. band. Like I'm a super fan and I was a super fan when I met Chris Murphy in 1998 and drooled all over how much I love the band. It was the first time I finally <laughs> saw them having fallen in love with the band from seeing underwhelmed on MTV's 120 minutes. Um, All right. you know, things like that. It's just like, yeah, I can go on and on, but, but it really comes from the fandom that I had from the band. And then I got to know them as, as people and as a business and that attracted me even more. And to this day, I mean, there isn't an album that we put out um, that when I finally get to listen to it, I'm like, Oh my God, this is the best thing they've done. Oh my God, this is the best thing yeah. they've done. Yeah. You know? Well, and I mean, that, that stability has got to also be interesting to you from a business standpoint. I mean, you're not just working with guys who are professional, who are a professional band and out there touring and changing their crew, you know, for every single tour. But, you know, even, you know, apart from the four core members of the band who have been the same since 91, mm-hmm. uh, the crew itself has, has uh, persisted over many tours and uh, it's easy to build a base on what this band has done. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I always say to people, cause there's like, what's it like touring? And I said, look, the touring is a, is a rolling family. There's five guys on stage and the five guys off stage and the five guys on stage since Gregory has, you know, came on board for the never here and end of the tour, you know, mm-hmm. it's been the same five guys. And before that, to your point, obviously for 30 years, it's been the same four guys. Um, and then the crew, you've always had basically not always, but for the most part, Mike Nelson has been around. Uh, he took yeah. over management duties, uh, I guess, in the mid 2000s, um, early 2000s, um, early 2000s from, yeah. Chip Southern, from, from Chip Sutherland. Um, but he was he was 
he was alongside Chip and he was running the show on the tours. And, you know, so he's been around. And then outside of that, it's been Mike basically building a team of people that he can rely on and trust on, uh, trust, trust with the livelihood and the the execution of that tour, which is the main way that that band succeeds and, and survives as a business is our, yeah. our touring mechanism. So like, yeah, it's been great. And, and I've been fortunate because people like Mike and then Kevin Hilliard and myself, and you know, that's, that's a solid team. Now we've got cam on board. Who's the front of house guy. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Harris who is a guitar tech and, you know, We've had a maybe blues um, group chat that we always start up a group chat. So we're all connected to each other on tour. And that started when we started our touring for the Navy blues tour. It's still active today. Like we still communicate as a family (laughs) uh, on that thing. Uh, And some of it's just jovial picking on each other as you would with a brother. Uh, And other times it's like, Hey man, we miss you. Hey man, this happened today, you know? And, And it's just, that's the, there is a true family vibe that goes on uh within the band and we support each other and you know we're human which is fantastic and and like i said that's that's a kind of case study too like the bands that i work with outside of the sloan world they all know that sloan is my family and they know that if i have an opportunity to tour with sloan or tour with somebody else sloan always wins if i have an opportunity to work on a sloan project versus somebody else sloan always wins they're my they're my go-to um but ironically a lot of the bands that i work with besides Sloan are fans of Sloan. So I get to work with them because of, they go, yeah. Oh wait, you did that with Sloan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Well, I'm a fan of Sloan. So I've seen that before. Or I, that's how I met this. You know, I met the drummer from the posies. Who's a friend of a friend. And he and I struck a great friendship in 2009 on my first tour with Sloan to this day. He's still a very good friend of mine, but he got me to work with um, the president of the United States of America through mm-hmm. my traveling with Sloan. I met the guys in letters to Cleo and I met the manager from Letters to Cleo years and years ago and we kind of rekindled that friendship. And they're like, well, we want you to help us like you help Sloan. I'm like, okay. So I can't stress enough, like Sloan has given me my business, which it's just yeah. a huge, a huge win. But at the same time, like I'm still such a earner for the band. And it's such a musician's band. I mean, we've talked about this before on the cast as well, but it's... Um you know, one of the, one of the references that I like is that story about Jet approaching Sloan on the, I believe it was the Action Pack tour, right? When the, the DVD was made, mm-hmm. uh, when, when Sloan was touring the States, opening up for, for Jet, um, that Jet had had a big wave of popularity based on their iPod commercial when iPod was still a thing yeah. back in 2003. And, uh, and Sloan was kind of, Sloan was kind of taken aback to learn that Jet had basically formed around their mutual enthusiasm for the band Sloan, yeah, uh, yeah. or that was a catalyst for their for for their success. Um, and I think that's one of the factors that uh, interests me the most in their longevity, as well as their their ability to influence other musicians, even thirty years into this shit. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not like. This is some upstart that's really making waves or something. You know, these are guys who are set in their ways. It's 30 years in, but they're still garnering accolades and respect from, from their fellow musicians. So yeah. um, it's, it's a fascinating point. I think one of the, the, the most fun I have on tour beyond the, bro- the traveling brotherhood, if you will, uh, and not every moment's obviously rosy and peachy, just like any family would be living in close quarters for that long. That's, we're all human. 
we laugh a lot. Don't get me wrong. We, I, we laugh a lot. But the other fun thing beyond the laughter is when you have, when, when we're playing a town that either a, another band's playing or we're on a bill, like we played the Yep Rock um, anniversary party that they had for their 15th anniversary. And yeah, in Carsboro. In, in Carboro, North Carolina, yeah. And, and, and all these other bands were on the bill. Just to see other bands like Love Sloan is a really, really cool feeling. Like to see other people go, wow, we, you know, we love you or verbally tell you, man, I remember when we saw you on this tour. And so I've met a lot of fans that are, you know, musicians themselves and, and well-established in their own right. And they're still drooling over how much they love, you know, the band, which is very, mm. cool. and they're my, on tour. There've been plenty of nights where, you know, so-and-so from this band is going to come on after the show and hang out with us and jump on the tour bus. Or, you know, my favorite story is the Milo Ackerman, who is the singer for the descendants jumped on stage and did a cover of a, we, we the band did a, a Sloan, a band did a descendants cover with Milo, but like all of us were like little kids because we just adore the descendants. And Milo was like, he was talking to me before the show. He was like asking me all these nerdy questions because he's such a super fan. And so that's, that's been a friendship that we've had. And so he came out on the Navy blue story, came out to see us in Philly and he just, he missed the first part of the show. Cause all he was doing was talking to me at the merch table. And that, <laughs> I mean, that's because he wanted to ask me a million questions about the band. Like, that's what I love is that I meet people mm -hmm. like somebody like Milo and, and a singer from a well, well loved band, the descendants who trust me is, is playing like huge venues now in their, in their quote unquote, you know, semi-retirement days. And it's like, he's at the merch table asking me all these questions about the band. It's like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. But it goes Amazing. back to what I said earlier. Like, that's what I love most about being a music nerd, you know, <laughs> being such an, a devoted music nerd, to bands that I love and meeting other music nerds. And sometimes they're corporate people and sometimes they're just casual, normal people. And sometimes they're musicians who have wealth beyond I would ever, ever see. And they still love the band, which I think is cool. Yeah. But. Super cool. Well, you, you spoke earlier about being a super fan and to kind of t hit the rewind button for just a second, you mentioned 120 minutes and seeing yep. underwhelmed. And I think for a lot of us fans early on, that was a reference point. Was that your sort of first, taste of them your first Absolutely. maybe memory? I, I was i was a devoted uh, 120 minute 120 minute from the time <laughs> i started watching it in 85 in fact uh i mean literally i can rattle off probably five dozen bands that i was introduced to and fell in love with because of that show so it was still an important show in the states for people like me and i vividly recall uh in 90 in 90 wait shit i don't remember what year it was what year was it it was 92 yeah, 92 mm -hmm. watching the video of Underwhelmed. And I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. Um, I'm ironically, as you know, I bought the album. So, so buying Smeared, I, I hate to say this, but I remember listening to the album in full and it was like, I don't love this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but 500 up and, and, you know, Underwhelmed and I, you know, I've grown to love most of it. Don't get me wrong. But I, in, in looking back, when I bought the second record, because I vividly recall buying Twice Removed at a used record shop in my town in Atlanta, and I and I first of all, this to give you the give you the American version of what was going on with that record, there was no news whatsoever that this record had come out. In fact, I picked yeah. it up and yeah. and I literally had to go, is this the same band? Like, yeah. it has to be the same band. 
And so Geffen, I was Geffen it. wasn't advertising. Oh my gosh. And so I asked the guy behind the counter, I'm like, it was, I, I paid $5 for it. And I looked at it and I said, is this the new Sloan album? And he goes, who? And I said, Sloan, I showed him, I showed him the CD and he's like, I don't know, dude, a, a guy that works for Geffen just comes in here and sells us a bunch of promos to sell. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was that awesome. kind of like the guy didn't care and whatever. I paid five bucks. I shit you not. I took that home. I'm getting chills now. I took it home and I put it on in my, I'm in, be, in my bedroom. And when pen pals came on, I was mm. like, in my mind, I'm like, the band is fucking arrived. Like yeah. I get it. Yeah. Like, the yeah, band yeah. has arrived. And I put yeah. that, you're going to love this. I put it on a mixtape that I made for my buddies, uh, who then they were all my best men in my, in my wedding party, mm. but they used me as the, Hey, hey, Coil, hey, Coil, what, what should we listen to? What's good? What should we listen to? So I put Pen Pals on there. I put my, I uh, hate my generation. And I put, um, I think that was it. I just put those two on, um, on this mixtape. And when they came to my wedding, I got married in 95. When they, mm-hmm. when they came to my wedding at different times, people were like, man, that song Pen Pals is so cool. So I'm like, yeah, it was. But that, yeah. so that literally, that was the album that I was like, Okay, this is a great band, but I still didn't think the whole album was great. I still didn't think the whole album was great. Now, next time the record comes out, I'll give you the lineage here. One chord comes out. I don't know it comes out, and I'm shopping at a record store. Uh, my buddy is a manager of, and he goes, "Oh, I'm so glad you're here." I'm like, "Why?" He goes, "I've got something for you. I, it came in. I forgot to tell you." And so I, I, he shows it to me, and I'm like, "What? They have a new record out?" He's like, "Yeah, man, check it out." And so, you know, he opened it up and, and he was a fan too. And so we were listening to it. And that, that's the one where I was like, okay, I thought the last record was good. Mm. Like, holy shit. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but you have to understand from an American's point of view, there was just no information whatsoever about this band. So I had to learn everything by doing whatever research I could and, and, and pouring through whatever things that I could. Um, yeah. And I, in fact, I remember the first time that I ever met uh, the guys in B&L one thing that connected me to the band was our love for Sloan. And so like Tyler Stewart was like, dude, that band Sloan is amazing. I'm like, yes, they are. They're amazing. So, you know, that once again, it was like, I was meeting people that were fans of music, yeah, um, which is huge. But um, yeah. And, and so from then on, from, from one chord on every album that came out, I was totally dialed into, I'd I'd scoured the internet that was available from that time on. I remember being in a really shitty job that I hated Mm -hmm. um, in the late nineties. And I, this is going to sound so like I would literally would go get a couple beers, go back to my hotel room. I was a a traveling salesperson. Um, I would buy pizza and I would sit there and I would watch Sloan videos and read message board shit for Sloan. That's how much I love the band. And I was lamenting, lamenting that I couldn't see them because I was in the South and I'm like, man, I don't know when they're going to come to the South again. And so this was early. This was, you know, cause they didn't, they didn't play it. I don't, I, I missed the show in Atlanta because I was traveling for something. And then it was like, I just, I went through this gap where I hadn't seen them. And so that's why I drove up to Nashville to see the action pack tour because I hadn't mm-hmm. seen them on like two tours. And I was like, fuck all. I'm not going to miss my favorite band. So I drove up. Actually, I should say I made my company pay for it because I had to quote unquote, go visit some clients. Um, (laughs) but I went to the action pack show and that's, and I ended up talking to Mike and talking to Kevin and talking to Chris and talking to Patrick and talking to Jay. Like I made the most of that night, just talking to everybody. Do you recall if that show is on the, uh, yes. 
It's, it's in the, the video. Movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about silly. I talk about like holy shit. Like me- meant to be moments. Yeah. I'm. I. I meet all of those guys at that show. Um, there are certain conversations that I had to remind other people. I won't, I'm, I'm seriously not going to mention them, but there are some conversations that were had that left an impression of me, left an impression on me in a in a in a good way, but they weren't a positive conversations. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. That that came to to, to be played later, uh, but meeting Kevin Hilliard and the whole filming of that and then ending up in the edit of that video. Yeah. You can see me in the audience for, for one of the songs. I'm not talked to or anything, but like I can see myself in it. I'm like, Oh my God, there I am. in you know, 2004. Oh God, that's so sick. But yeah. I was going to say, Jay, we got to find that section of the DVD to oh, kind yeah. of put it out on social media. Or something. you have to let me know where you are. Help me out. Uh, um, I'm, but yeah, I I'll, I forget what song it is, but I'm wearing I, I I I'm wearing like this green, this green looking shirt. I mean, I say looking because it's like green and white, and it's kind of got a pattern on it. But it was my <laughs> it was my shirt to try to look cool because I wasn't in the music industry, and God knows I wanted to be in the music industry type of thing. But <laughs> we we've interestingly enough we've had some people on our Sloancast Instagram message us and be like, hey, I'm in the uh, keeping the tour alive DVD. Like this is me and that scene and stuff, and yeah. it's so cool to hear that feedback and and to just kind of uh, I hear you on the you know the traveling salesman story there. I mean, like I remember for me personally, like I moved to Toronto in 2006, and uh, you know I was in a job I didn't love and in a relationship that was really difficult and blah blah blah. And I remember moving into my place, I didn't have a bed. And I'm eating like a pizza and a pop in the middle of the floor in my new bedroom. I have nothing there. And the only thing I cared about was getting my internet hooked up so I could see the new episode of Never See the End of It oh, you got uh, on, on yeah. YouTube. That was the only thing I cared about. I didn't give a shit if I had anything yeah. else. I needed, to, I needed to have YouTube. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was a fan glued to YouTube when those things were released. In fact, if I remember correctly, it was all, it was all leading up to South by Southwest. That's right. That's right. And, and at yeah. the time... South by Southwest was a dream. I was like, ironically, since, you know, no lie, literally, I've been to now to South by over a dozen times since then. Mm-hmm. And I've moderated panels and been been guests on panels. So like, it's just funny to put myself back into like, oh, Sloan's playing South by. That's so cool. And yeah, they played in 2007, that, and that was the time that I went there too. And uh, you, you were speaking earlier about Milo and other kind of super fans from other bands seeing them. I remember one of the shows there. You know, you looked around and it was everybody from like the fucked up guys yep. to Yoko Cassiano. So you, you name it. You know, the audience was other musicians and other fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, super cool. And I wanted to quickly just. Uh, speaking of kiss and Beatles fanatics, if anyone has ever met the guys in the band, like not only are they, you know, the greatest band of all time in in our opinion, um, but they're quality human beings, you know, who go out of their way to treat their fans, you know, really well, you know, Kevin Hilliard, for example, is known to kind of run around and help people get autographs after the show. And so you talked about meeting Chris and Mike, but what were your first impressions of, of Sloan? Like when you first met the guys meeting each guy, for example, sure. Um, well, going back to that, the conversation I had in Atlanta with Chris Murphy on the Navy Blues tour, it was a, a venue called The Point, total merch moment. Um, I had to have a T-shirt and they did not have anybody selling merch that night. And I'm like, so I, I wait till after the show. I, I, I you know, they, they walk off the stage and I'm just talking to them casually. Just I, I vividly recall having conversations with all of them, at least telling them, Hey, my name's Jay. Just thank you guys for coming back to Atlanta. Uh, this first time seeing you've been a fan since you know 92, blah, blah, blah. But Chris and I started this conversation because at the time 
the buddy of mine who had the never uh, the um, one chord to another released, who was a manager of a record store, he and I were flirting with the idea of uh, having a uh, power pop convention in Atlanta and to basically just have a bunch of bands play. And at the same time, we we're talking about opening a record store. So I was talking to Chris as, hey, I'm dead serious. I want your advice on starting this power pop thing. Uh, would Sloan come and play? You could be our headlining act. And then also, I'd love to pick your brain because I want to open up a record store. And we were toying with the idea of starting a record label. And could I just reach out to you sometime? And he whipped out. I, I He goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let me give you my email address. And so I whipped out my wallet and, and I had a business card of mine and I just turned it over and he signed with a Sharpie. And I still, I have, I swear, I still have it somewhere. I told Chris that. I told him that's this awesome. whole story. And he's like, well, that was very, that, wow, that was nice of me, kind of, you know, self-depreciating type thing. And I said, yes, it was nice of you. I said, of course, I never emailed you. He said, why didn't you email me? I said, well, I didn't email you because it never happened. Like I never, we never put the things together. So I would feel shitty if I reached out to you because I didn't have anything to talk to you about. He's like, you could have asked me about music. And I'm like, yeah. So, anyways. so my impression of Chris was that he was very humble. He was very kind, uh, willing to talk to a nobody. Uh, and when I told him my ideas, he's like, sure. let me give you my email. He's the one who said, let me give you my email address. Um, and then when I met Mike Nelson, I got to tell you this part of the story too. When I was in Nashville, I went to the merch table as I'm apt to do and just struck up a friendship talking to the merch guy. And I kept asking more and more questions. And then I finally asked him one thing and it was like, well, who does this? And he goes, well, that's me. I'm like, well, well, you're selling merch, but who are you? He goes, well, I'm actually the manager. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to demean you. He's like, no, you're not, you know? And so once again, you know, fast forward to I'm the merch guy and I'm part of the team. And it's the same thing where people talk to me and I, I know what happens. They're like, well, how do you know that? And I'm like, well, cause I'm part of the team. Well, you actually work with the band. I'm like, yeah. And so many people assume the person selling merch is just some guy they hired locally to sell merch. Yeah. And it's like, no, I, I I'm actually, I'm with the band. Uh, oh, okay. And it, it's not an ego thing for me at all. I just want, I, I, I just try to establish, no, when I'm telling you th- something, it's from genuine knowledge. It's not because I'm assuming. And same thing when I'm asking questions, it comes from, we want to know. I do a lot of market research on tours. So if you've ever talked to me at the merch table and we're talking something, I log it away for when the band says, I wonder if the fans would like this. I'll say yes, or I'll say no, because a lot of the times I've actually asked those questions in the merch table. So that's always fun. Um, my, but my impressions of meeting the other guys are kind of be standard. Uh, Jay, once Jay and I got to talking about record collecting and record shopping, I, I love talking to Jay about that. Full disclosure, when we go on tour, there isn't a town that either he or I already have an RI on a record store that we want to go visit. So Jay and I <laughs> spend a lot of, a lot of money on tour buying vinyl. Um, Patrick, Patrick is such a funny guy. And getting to know him, getting to know him was fun only because we have, there's the commonality of, of music stuff. But I just remember meeting with him, meeting him before I worked with the band. It was probably no different than you guys, where sometimes he comes out and sometimes he doesn't. And he's friendly and, and amenable, but he kind of then cuts it off. And it's just, it's just, it's just his personality. Um, Jay and Chris, obviously the most talkative of the bunch. So I fell in fast with those guys. Uh, and meeting Andrew, Andrew was like the quiet, thunder um i met i remember meeting him at a outside restaurant in atlanta uh before 
the between the Bridges show at the Cotton Club in in Atlanta, and I really had nothing to say to him except for how much I loved Between the Bridges and said I'm really looking forward to seeing these songs live, especially yours. And he's like, really? And I said, well, because at the time I heard that they had that's when he was bringing out the piano, and it was you know playing that in the set, which brought something completely different to the last time I saw them. So just having those kind of conversations, and I could tell. You know, he's acknowledging, oh, you're actually appreciative of, of something. It's not just you want to shake my hand or something. And um, Andrew's mm-hmm. just Andrew's. Uh, I, I've enjoyed to get to know Andrew the best for only because his kids are older like my kids. So there's that kind of kinship and, and being older. Uh, he's also been very, very sweet to my boy, Finn. And I've, my youngest is a boy. Um, and just whenever Finn has been around, don't get me wrong, Chris, had, Chris, drools and loves all over my son but there's something in andrew that my son really likes and then when i told him that andrew was training to be a fireman my my kid lost his shit like he thinks firemen <laughs> hang the moon, so kind of I crazy mean, but my you know look the, my impression of all those guys what i love is that um going back to that story about chips and dip um i'm friends with the guys in in the odds and obviously was friends with bnl and the odds and bnl and me there was a crew of us that basically went to see every set that Sloan played on that tour, on that, on that ship. Um, to the point that I remember being with Chris, with, with Craig Northey, myself, uh, and, and, you know, and, and Pat Stewart egging Chris on during a set. Um, and I was just like, this is heaven. Like just picking on those guys and having fun with those guys. And then, you know, fast forward five years and I do that all the time on tour. So yeah. it's fun. It's I love fun. it. You know, a, a production note, um, there is an excellent bootleg, video bootleg of that 2000 Cotton Club show in Atlanta from the Between the Bridges tour out there on YouTube. Um, whoever did it was, you know, semi-professional videographer for the time. Great audio quality. So if you haven't seen it, YouTube the Cotton Club Atlanta 2000 show uh, and prepare to be amazed. You know, this is a, this is a band at that point in time, which has basically been on the road for 18 months straight, either on the road or in the recording studio. And they're, they're sounding so tight. You know, that was such a great tour. Uh, And that story, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the sort of rewardingness of getting to know Andrew, um, which I certainly felt in the last, in, in, in our interview of him a couple of episodes ago, Um, but from a fan's perspective, you know, you, we know that Chris and Jay are approachable and affable because they're very much the diplomats of the band and they're out there doing the interviews and they're the ones who are always hanging around after the shows. But at the same time, you know, I feel as though it's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's such a refreshing experience as a fan to just exchange even just a couple of honest words with Patrick or Andrew after a gig and just being, you know, eye to eye and not really aggressively going at them and try yeah. to get their autograph or whatever. And, you know, I think when you do that, um, you can really get through to their, to their genuine sense of humor and their genuine personalities. And these are just like four dudes who are out right. there doing their work, doing their job. Um, and, uh, I don't, think that everybody in the band loves to be drooled over at all times by grown men in their, in their forties. Yes. True. I, I will, I will add this and Ken, thank you for saying all that. I, I, I take very seriously um, people being offended when they don't get an autograph or when they don't get a chance to talk to somebody. And I always preface by saying, look, you have to understand like, 
Patrick, Andrew, Chris, and Jay are all human. And sometimes they're exhausted or there's something else going on in their life that they really, yeah. the last yeah. thing they want to do is just to stand there and, and listen to you and, or, or then try to sh- drum up a conversation. But never, yeah. ever, ever hear me this. Everybody in listenership land, never misconstrue that they don't appreciate it because there isn't a band member that I haven't had to go dig into the bus and go, hey, guys, I know you don't want to come back in, but can you please sign this for so-and-so? And they'll absolutely say yes. And there have been moments where I'd say that and they're like, oh, fine. Uh, you know what? This is stupid. Yeah, I'm going to go back in. Let, I'll be there in five minutes. And sometimes they just needed to decompress a little bit. Sometimes they needed to call home. Sometimes they needed to like take care of something. And it's like, yeah. oh, you know what? Yeah, I want to go talk to him because every one of those four guys would not have a job if it wasn't for the fans. And none of them well, take that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 part and parcel of being such a big band in many ways, but such a small band at the same time. Mm-hmm. Every single fan counts, right? Yeah. And they've been incredibly gracious to their fans over the years. It, they they all when when they're in the right setting and they're and they're and they're willing and able um it, there's something definitely special that can still happen and there have been many times back on the bus where the guys will have a conversation amongst the four of them hey did you talk to so-and-so oh my god yes we did did you did she tell you the story yes like that that stuff is super super life-changing to those four guys right because like mm. their music speaks to them and means something my favorite part when i'm at the merch table is to facilitate that and sometimes right. i will pinpoint and I'll see like Andrew work while this way. And I'll like grab him and say, Hey Andrew, Hey man, could you please make sure that you go talk to that girl over there? She, she wants to talk to you. And there've been really cool conversations that that girl has with Andrew, because I know she's, she, I know what she wants to ask and what she wants to talk about. Andrew will thoroughly, you know, are anything to do with art, anything to do with that type of stuff. I've seen some really cool conversations and I feel like a proud father in facilitating that. You know, it's like, I just, my job is just to always facilitate that the at the audience is having a good time and if my job is merch that's giving them the merch that they want but also it means answering questions and if possible facilitating a conversation or some type of signing that can happen and that's my job just be the conduit between the audience and the band you, you remind me, I think it might've been the same show where Ken and I met, but uh, they had the Sloan scarves, which yeah. uh, on the one side say Sloan in really big yellow lettering. And I remember at that show, there was a group of ladies who came up and they're like, Oh, the scarves. Cool. So I guess you just wear it around your neck or whatever. And I was like, well, you can also in the show, like hold it up over your head, like Bay city roller style or whatever. <laughs> and uh, they were like, Oh, and all four of them bought one. And then yeah. I remember them coming out after the show and they're like, we held it up the whole show. I, we hope they saw it, you know, mm-hmm. like they, were so proud that they, they they were there to do that so yeah i love that yeah. that's fantastic um jay you touched earlier upon sort of your experience going from album to album in the 90s getting to know this band i'm a firm believer of the idea that your favorite album of the band doesn't necessarily also have to be your favorite tour of the band is that your experience as well do you have a favorite tour uh from yeah. from an insider's perspective yeah, that's I I don't have a favorite tour um because sadly, you know, never no two tours are alike. Sadly because I would love to give you the answer I can't. Only because it could be there's certain certain routing will take us a different way or um maybe a certain crew member can't make it so it's a different crew member so a couple nights are a little off. Maybe there's something happening with the band member illness or family stuff that maybe they're not in the right man- mindset for the full tour. Um but there are, there are definitely like, and every single tour, 
there's certain nights that just like you get done and you just, we just look amongst ourselves like that was amazing. That was fun. And it's not an ego thing at all. It's not patting ourselves on the back. It's just like, wow. But um, I have long held and long told those guys over and over. My favorite, my favorite album of theirs is Between the Bridges. Um, I, I was lucky enough to see the tour, but, you know, they are, pl- they are playing better now than they did back then. So I'm happy to see, I was happy to see the Navy Blues tour as a five piece after having seen the original Navy Blues tour, because sure. Gregory, Gregory's harmonies, uh, filling out Chris's harmonies and Gregory just kind of giving them almost a grounding. Um, he's the, you know, he's the secret weapon in the band, like, uh, in, in terms of just, he keeps, he keeps the, he's, he is a band director. That's what, that's what he does mm-hmm. on stage. And he keeps everybody mm-hmm. focused on notes and, and how things go. And he's just, and he's just such a great guy. Um, but I, have loved the band live better now than ever, anything that I saw in the nineties and early two thousands, just because there's that extra grounding with, with Gregory there. Right. I agree. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, to put that out there and maybe this is fodder for a, a, another episode. We've talked about the action pack tour. Action pack is not my favorite album of the band, but it was my favorite tour. Great oh, energy really? there. Songs yeah. that are that are that are perfectly designed for live performances. Yeah, and I think it was part of the package that they were actually looking for going out and doing that album. So, yeah. um, certainly, certainly, food for thought when we do the action-packed naked episode at some point in the podcast's <laughs> future. And I'll jump in here. Speaking of tour, uh, I have to touch on the various crew outfits over the years. Oh my god! Um, but uh, and the, and the outfits themselves, they have a tendency to reflect on the theme of the album, maybe that's being promoted. But do you, uh, give us maybe some insight in how that started. Who who makes the various outfits? Did you have a favorite? Um, my favorite was just selfishly iced because I thought they were the coolest thing ever that we have our own track suits. Um, so the blue, you know, you know, one core to another, uh, um, junior Panthers tracksuits. um, those, those outfits started in two ways. One, um, Kevin and Mike trying to be creative in terms of what can we do on this tour differently? Um, and it's, I can't, I can't credit or fault either one of them more. Um, but usually Kevin comes up with the crazier ideas. Um, which, which are good, but I would, I would say that is a, that is a Kevin Hilliard and Mike Nelson kind of birthing subject matter. What I loved instantly when we did it was, um, to give you kind of like perspective, as I said earlier, and Mike and I have said this over and over again, our job is to facilitate that performance so that once the band is on stage, it's all about the audience. It's all about everybody that comes to see a show has an experience. And so when you walk into a Sloan show, the music that is typically, I'd say 98% of the time, the music that is being played was curated by the band. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, when you see more than one person wearing the same outfit, it always makes people do a double take. It turns mm-hmm. into, it turns into a event. It turns into a photo op. Um, it yeah. makes the band laugh. Our joy gets, gets getting those guys off and making them laugh. And so us five and crew, we never let them know what we're doing for our crew outfits. The first time they see it is the first time we wear it. And it's the first night of the tour. And I love it. I loved it was when we were able to hand them their own track suits. Cause we had 10 of them. Um, and they're like, really? And they're like kids. Like, really? We get to keep these. Yes. You, those are yours. Um, but that's, so that's, that's been my favorite, but um, it is an event. It has made my job easier because it makes people 
always have to come up to the merch table. Why are you wearing that? <laughs> and I could tell if they're a casual fan or a super fan. If they're a super fan, they, they instantly get it. Yeah. And if they're a casual fan, I get, why are you wearing that? And I, I just have, and then that's a chance for me to explain why we're wearing what we're wearing, you know, and like <laughs> casual fans didn't understand the junior Panthers reference. I had to say, I literally picked up one chord and say, here's a song called junior Panther. So we thought that sounded like a track team. Yeah, so we it could also Panthers be a 400 meters track. reference, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it was just think, but, but that is, that is all Mike and Kevin, but that, did start technically it started with Kevin because Kevin was skip low right. on the never hear the end of it tour. And when he did that thing, they realized it's an event at the merch table. It gets people out to the merch table. And so I joined them on the, on the next, no, I joined them. I wasn't on, I wasn't on uh, parallel play. And then I joined them on the next tour, which was technically the hit and run tour. Um, and at that time it was just an EP. It was just a, it wasn't a full tour. It's just a run a sh- couple runs of shows. Uh, and that was my kind of impetus in, in working with those guys. Um, but since it wasn't an album, they didn't have something, but they were already thinking. And I remember them saying, we have to do something like skip low the next time. And so since I was taking over merch, Kevin was now lights. He couldn't do skip low. So we had to come up with something else. And that was the impetus for us doing the twice removers. And so the twice removers were the next thing that we did. And I recall there being purple jackets on the double cross yeah. uh, and I, and the uh, Commonwealth. Everybody looked like a, like a dealer in Vegas yeah. or something. Yeah. Exactly. Car dealers. Yeah. <laughs> where have there, have there been any cool moments where, I don't know, you guys are in Medford, Oregon or something and you're all walking down the street in big blue jumpsuits, anything like that, where somebody's like, oh, what the hell came to town? There were definitely, yes, that tour alone, there were definitely nights where we would go out and we would say, okay, put on your jackets or something. And you might have one or two dissenters, um, but for the most part, it was kind of a let's be stupid because we can type of thing. Medford, Medford, man, those, Medford's one of those things, I love those days off only because then it's like, what are we going to do? And Kevin to his, to his testament, every tour, he has some event that goes on that's just for band and crew. And sometimes it's karaoke night and sometimes it's, um, oh God, what was it? I forget what the game was. We, it wasn't, it wasn't poker. Was bowling? It was what? Bowling. I recall seeing a photo of everybody bowling, yep. I want to say. Bowling was the t- with double cross tour. Um, I can't remember everything we've done, but there's always <laughs> some things that we do. Um, and that, to me, to be honest with you, that just makes me, you know, love them as, as men more. Like those guys are my brothers. Mm-hmm. Like I, we just do stupid stuff together as a family on tour. And a lot of it's just to keep ourselves, to keep us sane. Like touring mm-hmm. is grueling. It is. It's, yeah. it's grueling. You know that, Rob. It's just like, it's grueling. Yeah, this actually railroads right into the next thing I was thinking about, which is, uh, you know, we've seen as for and fans have seen online various sort of accoutrement, if you will, in terms of the bus. And I think uh, whether it's the Burt Reynolds photo in the front window or it's, uh, you know, the, the inner the inner sanctum of the bus covered in sort of rock paraphernalia and photos via Andrew. To me, that's sort of like everybody kind of keeping their head on straight. Like to me, when Andrew kind of puts up those photos and stuff, it's just like, regardless of how grueling this is, and we're on like the 200th show in a row, mm. these artists on the wall are our peers. We are the extension yeah. of this sort of like, uh, uh, what, what would you call it? Like the, the pop music pantheon, mm. you know, so d- don't forget who you are and where you are and what you're doing kind of thing. Well, I, yes. And a lot of that is it's, it's Andrew going out, at the start of a tour or bringing books from home, he'll go to a used bookstore and just pick up a bunch of photo albums. Um, 
and then just start making a, a huge collage. So what the inside of the bus is, is basically a huge collage. Um, and it's pretty, it's, it's welcoming because then it becomes, it's not a bus. It's, it's an art installation. And then it's also becomes a, okay, this is what Andrew does and he makes it our home. And mm-hmm. so, yes, little things like that mean make it a really cool environment. Um, funny enough, we've been working with the same bus driver for the last couple of years, Ian, great guy, uh, and his wife, uh, Sarah, and, uh, he was totally down. It's his bus. It's his company. And he's like, I'm totally down with that. Andrew, you do what you want. He was the first bus driver that was like, without caution, everybody else is like, okay, as long as you take it down after the tour's over, there better not be a piece of tape left over, Mm. you know, which is fine. But yes. I love it. We, we And there have been moments where, like, you sit there and you're looking at a picture of Debbie Harry or you're looking at a picture of the Ramones. You're looking at a picker, picture of Joe Strummer. And it's like, hell yeah. Like, they did this, too. This is what they yep. did. And, and that's what we do. So, And I love – I remember a couple of years ago seeing uh, – I don't know – if it, I don't know how this started, but I could tell that this was sort of like an in-joke or something like where none of the guys on the crew or in the band were allowed to say sound check. It had to be sound test. <laughs> yeah. And if you said sound check, you had to put money in a jar and the yes. jar was called om nom nom. Om nom 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 nom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I love it that there's these funny little in things that kind of just keep people motivated and having fun. Yeah, we have to do that. And there's there's things that happen that like you had to be there moments. Um, and, and there's a lot that have happened since Harris Harris has come on board. Mm-hmm. Harris is like the little brother that, that uh, of the band. And there are things that he has done that just, he, if you've never met Harris, please make an effort to meet Harris at the next tour. Harris is just so, so funny and so, so good at what he does, mm-hmm. but he's really good at pushing people's buttons to make things happen for a reason, like in a good sense, like it doesn't piss people off, but he knows how to do things. And there's just one night we did this kind of name that tune thing. And I just, in my brain is always hit. he went, listen, listen, listen. So that's like a tag that we'll say on the tour bus all the time. Like, listen, it's just like stupid stuff like that. Right. Like, but that, that's once again, it's like, there's a lot of in jokes, a lot of inside jokes that happen. From the DVD, I remember the whole argument of Skinner versus Zeppelin. I just love that's like a classic to me. I love it. <laughs> that's not a contest. Yeah. Uh, so I was gonna, I was gonna not play a little game, but just sort of pick your brain about. Uh, let, let's. I don't know what the etiquette is on the bus, but let's just say you know the bus is driving down the middle of nowhere, and there's a sign for you know used record store half off. You know, is anybody gonna say, hey, whoa, 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 stop the bus? And if so, who is that person? You probably have. To, I, I would want to say it, but I wouldn't say it because I'm more concerned about us making sure that we get to the next town, and I don't want right. to. With, I don't want to fuck with Ian's schedule because the bus driver, you know, as people may not yeah. know, the bus drives during the night and into the early morning while everybody yeah. else technically sleeps. But right. okay. it would be Jay and myself who would be drooling over that and obsessing and saying, uh, 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 "Can we take a detour?" Um, you know, but. <laughs> Being a small business, I, I, I would I would keep my mouth shut. But that's not to say that there haven't been times where somebody said, hey, guys, between here and here, like on the last tour, on the Navy Blues tour in Texas, we stopped at the place where uh, Andrew did his uh, right. fireman training. Mm. That was one of the coolest experiences because we got a firsthand tour and we got to walk all over their stuff. There's video of 
for Cola Wars that was created out of that. Um, mm-hmm. When they were doing the, the, the firemen in training were doing their training exercises and there's right. literally huge mountains of flames. And so Chris, Chris and Harris set up the shot of, of Gregory standing there and it's in slow motion and you just see the flame kind of coming from behind him. <laughs> Um, that was edited into a color wars promo thing for Gregory. But, but that day, but that day was like, it was Andrew sharing something with us that he went through that was really cool. And it was just like, you would, I've never seen that. And that was out of the way and it got us into soundcheck a lot later, but that's a perfect example where it was like, no, that, that we need to do this. This is a really cool thing. Um, Mm -hmm. so kind of to redirect your question it's like there's not a lot that would detour us or or stop us from getting to the town as quickly as possible um just because once we get to the next town it gives everybody a sense of okay now you have x amount of hours free to do whatever you need to do Uh, and for me that might be i have to do my other work and i teach so i'll have to i i have always squirreled away during the a lot of times during the day to go answer students questions or even hold live classes because i teach or Berkeley School of Music, or um, music industry courses I teach online. Uh, oh, cool. And so the guys might still be asleep, or they might go have lunch with somebody. Chris is famous to go have lunch with a cousin. He seems to have 150 cousins out in <laughs> Eastern Canada. Um, but like, I'm always having to go to the hotel or squirrel away to do some work-related stuff, because Sloan is part of my work, not the only work I have. Whereas everybody else, mm-hmm. predominantly, Sloan is their work. The only thing right. Yeah. And, on, but, and on the flip side of that, the, the, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say that's that's why it's important to keep the ball rolling. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking, I mean, we both play drums, Jay. And as a drummer for me, like I, I had a kit and I played a little bit, but I mean, seeing them live, and I've mentioned this on the pod before, that was like just life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. And as a drummer, for me, like the ultimate dream when I was a kid was like, oh my God, you know, uh, and there's a story of the who, you know, like when Keith, Keith passes out and they yeah. need somebody to, from the audience to come up and play drums, you know, not that anything would ever happen to Andrew at all. Like, I don't want anything, <laughs> I don't wish him ill will, but let's just say that night, you know, he, you know, I don't want to say food poisoning, but for some makeup, something, <laughs> he can't do the show. Is there anybody in the audience who knows all the songs perfectly and can play them like a champ? And I'm in the front and I'm just like waving my arm and Murph sees me and he goes, yeah, come on up here. Mm-hmm. And I play the whole show with no rehearsal, top to bottom. We play yeah. Never Hear the End of It, top to bottom. You know, give me 30 songs. Uh, that, now that's never happened. Okay, that's a fantasy. And I'm not trying to, you know, make a dream a reality here. But I'm just saying like in 2011, I think it was Vienna, Virginia. You got up with them mm-hmm. and you played Underwhelmed. I want to say it might have been in the... Uh, the uh encore uh what was that like and has that happened since well to clarify actually in vienna it was um not underwhelmed it was um oh my god first song on one chord it was um it was always oh, good in everyone it was good in everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right yeah you did but that was I'm the sorry. second time it's happened the first time was 2009 in chicago mm. i played underwhelmed okay <laughs> i still don't know why that happened I, I seriously don't. I just remember that I, we were backstage between the main set and the encore and Andrew was on a cigarette break and somebody said, Hey, Coyle, do you want to play drums? And I was like, what? And I'm like, do you want to play drums? I was like, yeah. What are we going to do? Let's do underwhelmed. Okay. Well, you know, come to find out that at the time Andrew was taking a cigarette break. I don't think he really cared to play underwhelmed, but there was enough people asking for it. So the band was like, easy out. Andrew's taking a cigarette break. Let's throw the bone to the new kid and let's see what he can see what he can do. And I just mm-hmm. thought it was a one-off. Um, but then 
the next tour was Twice Removed tour, and we did the Twice Removers set. So the crew played a set, right? So we played an opening set um, on that tour. So the, once again, playing drums on stage, blah, blah, blah. And then the next tour was the one that, Rob, you talked about. And, and then since then, I have done it, I think, three or four other times where Underwhelmed is my song. Like somewhere in the, typically near the end of a tour, it's like, hey, let's get Coil to play. Right. It's one of the stupid things that has now almost, I, I would dare say it's a tradition, but it's become a re- recurring theme. Uh, I don't ever take it for granted. And it's, to your point, Rob, it's a fucking thrill. Like to play, my, my favorite part is I'm serving the song. I'm not paying attention to what I'm playing. I just lose, yeah. lose myself. That's how I play drums anyway. But yeah. my favorite had part a song about is, that? is my favorite song is I look, my favorite during the song is I get to look at Chris or Jay or Patrick and they're smiling like ear to ear yeah. because they're having yeah. fun. And I think they get off on the fact that's that that's so crazy. I mean, like imagine a Beatles fan getting to go up and they're looking at the back of John, Paul and George or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy from yeah. 120 minutes to the throne of thunder, you know? Yeah. And I think my fantasy I'm going sure forward now, felt every night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think my fantasy now is set in stone. It's a 90 minute cigarette break for Andrew and I do you know, a full album or something. But uh, yeah, for but, me, the, 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 the fantasy is always like getting up and doing like feels good or she says she needs or something. Right. But let me put it to you this way, Rob, and I know you'll appreciate this sloan has two incredible drummers in there oh yeah and every night as you and i sat next to stood next to each other before at a show every night i get to watch those two guys play i don't take that for granted whatsoever like whatsoever that i can like every night after night after night i never tire of the set and when i try to explain that to people that tour for a living they're, they can't believe I say that. I'm like, but you have to understand, I was a super fan before I was inside mm-hmm. the circle. So yeah. I am a first, for, first and foremost, I'm a super fan. So I never tire of hearing these songs live. I can also criticize it because there are certain nights that are better than others. Um, There's certain sets that I'm like, I really wish that they would have played something from Action Pack or wish they would have played this or, you know, I don't ever not like a song in the set, but there are definitely nights where I'm like, oh, I wish they would have done more of that. But when you've got you know twelve studio albums to pull from and and two EPs, you can't fit everything. So yeah, yeah. if if you know if there's one thing that's better than listening to Andrew Scott on drums, it's watching Andrew Scott oh, on drums. <laughs> this man, watching his command over the drums, oh. sitting high, yeah. with you know in, in sort of innate motions that come from you know, genetics or birth or whatever, you know, this guy on drums is just such a, such a presence and I can never get tired of that. And if there's anything that approaches the joy of watching Andrew Scott on drums, it's watching Chris Murphy trying to play Andrew (laughs) Scott's drum parts. It's watching Chris Murphy do on the horizon and Mm -hmm. take a deep breath before that fill every single time and just, you know, yeah. ram right through well, it i love I'll it i'll give it to chris i'll give it to chris here because i mean it's example like on the horizon he's singing the whole time too right so i mean like he's, he's playing that full puffing force and puffing <laughs> and and, and we and we got to give it up for chris too man like that guy you know as a drummer i can say you can see his moves that he has in his arsenal yeah. but yeah. i always regardless of the song i always feel like he never plays the song exactly the same way twice and i don't know if that's just like a thing for him to have fun during the set or if it's just a way to kind of express himself, but how he gets from point A to point B 
is up in the air and he just yeah. allows his body to get him there. And that's yeah. incredible to watch. I would yeah. say Chris Murphy playing sensory deprivation oh, is yeah. like otherworldly because yes. it is him trying to do his best Andrew. Um, but then it's Andrew's song. And I have such a great time watching Andrew controlling that ship during yeah. that song. But at the same time you watch Chris and he's just full of full on abandon. It's, just, it's so much yeah. fun. Like, there aren't many musical moments left in the world, like seeing this band live. And that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. It's just, and I, <laughs> I, I can't say enough. I know you've heard me over and over again. I don't take this job for granted. I don't take those guys for granted. Um, and I'm just fortunate that <clears throat> they don't want to hang it up. And there's really, you know, we, we truly do hate the fact that we can't finish the Navy blues tour right now. Um, yeah. I don't know what the future looks like in terms of when we'll get back to touring, but I can tell you that, all of the guys have new material and all of the guys want to make an, uh, another new record for sure. So the good news is somewhere down the path, we'll have a new studio album and we'll have a new tour, but we'll probably even have live shows before that. We can get to that, but that's yeah. exciting to me. You know, it's like more shit. Amazing. Come. Okay. Well, let me just steer the old ship and dip, if you will, into talking about <laughs> merch a little bit, if you don't mind, like I just want to kind of pick your brain a bit in terms of how does that process work? Maybe some comical merch suggestions that never made it to air as it mm -hmm. were. Um, you know, anything like you just mentioned a new album, but anything that you were aware of that's in the slow merch pipeline, you know, do you have the, the skinny on reissues, that kind of thing? Yep. Well, as far as reissues go, I truly can tell you that I don't know what's next. Cause obviously we just did the Navy blues one and yeah. in the, in the Canon next would be obviously between the bridges, but we haven't done smeared. So right. that's still now I also know that the guys ironically, technically we've got the template and technically Chris and Jay have already in their brains kind of formulated what each possible kind of collection could look like. And I've mm -hmm. also know that Jay has told me that or actually yeah, yeah. Jay has told me that he thinks a um a pretty together one would be really great. There's a lot oh, of good content for that. Yeah. But, oh but, 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 but we have to get there. Right. So, um, but no, I don't, I don't. And, and truthfully, we're a small business. So like hmm. the only reason why this stuff doesn't come out quickly, it's because we are a small business and it takes a lot of energy, both time and money to create the stuff. Uh, and you don't want to saturate the market. Obviously. And we don't want to saturate them. We have a limited, we do have a limited market. Now I get this all the time. Why don't you press more than a thousand or why don't you press more than and like, the reason we press what we do is we've figured it out. That's the sweet spot. Could we yeah. do more? Yes. Yeah. If we do more, there's a chance that exclusivity won't be there. Something won't work and we'll be stuck with something or we'll spend too much money and we won't get it back enough for us to go then on tour, do something else with it. So there's businesses, business decisions behind most of the things that we do. Mm -hmm. But the good news is we also don't do it to fleece anybody or take advantage of anybody. So as we tell everybody, look, if you don't want to buy the deluxe box set, you're going to get the single version of it. And if you don't want vinyl and you're not a vinyl fan, there'll be the digital version of it. And yep. so we just opened up our, I should say, we opened up our Bandcamp store a couple of years ago. Um, but with the death of our top spin store, which was my baby, I've taken on mm -hmm. Bandcamp as kind of another one of my babies. And I'm trying to formulate a plan on how to serve the back catalog there. So we just released uh, the beginning of, uh, of March, we released the one chord digitally, which was the first time that was available digitally. And we'll have Navy Blues coming down the pipeline. And then this summer, we'll have all of that stuff on streaming. So we're not going to just, you know, we're not going to discern if you have to enjoy digital, which version you want. But we'll do streaming for all that stuff by the summertime. Um, as far as merch items and stuff, the way that it's traditionally happened is Jay and Chris of the art department 
and they'll come up with the the look, the theme, color schematics, everything for the the album art. And then naturally from that, they'll have some ideas of what they want for merch. Uh, Mike normally has some ideas. He'll then pass it to me and say, hey, can you add anything to this? Um, and then we have our vendor that we work with, Kill the Eight out of Toronto, and they'll yeah. come up with the actual designs. And sometimes it's a mixed bag of we have set images that we want, and sometimes they throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, and I would say about 80% of it doesn't stick. Um, we have seen some really disgusting things, no offense to the staff at Kill the Eight, but we're not going to make a tie-dye Sloan shirt. And you know, <laughs> I've seen that come across my desk before. Can you no. make one for me? Just make no. one. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but as you, as I spoke to earlier, my love for the for the Beatles and for Kiss, there was a there was a, a image that was there, and so the Sloan merch has to go along with the aesthetic and a, and a, a yeah. pass the approval yeah. of everybody in the band to say that's cool. Now, I'm not going to lie, there have been merch items that I've had on the, at the merch table where maybe somebody didn't look at the email and they come to the merch table and go, "When did we do that?" Or <laughs> "I don't have one of those," or "I didn't know we made that." Um, but and that's fine. I can't fault them if they don't care enough about it. That's fine. It, it doesn't mean they don't care in general. Um, but everybody likes to have. Let's put it this way: everybody likes to have good-looking merch so that people can walk around town, and when they see somebody wearing a Sloan shirt, it looks mm-hmm. it looks cool on them. And mm-hmm. it's like th- those guys are very obviously happy and proud to have fans that want to buy merch so that they can wear Sloan, and they don't take it for granted at all. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a total whore when it comes to merch and I'm, it says as I'm wearing a Kiss t-shirt today, I've got a ton of t-shirts in my closet and my wife hates it when I come home from tour because I will take one of every single Sloan shirt that we make. Hmm. And so I've got dozens and dozens of Sloan shirts, but I'm not at all afraid to wear a Sloan shirt because I'm proud of, you know, the band and I will still wear it. Absolutely. So, but yeah, merch ideas is it's it, it does start from Chris and Jay and goes through Mike and then it comes to me. Um, and we always try to do something unique on each tour cycle. So if we haven't had something in a while, we'll bring it back like a coffee mug. Um, if we haven't had a button in a while, we had hats for the twelve tour. Um, you know, I think one of the coolest things we ever did was the the pack of uh, playing cards that we did mm-hmm. for Commonwealth. Um, Fantastic you know, st- stuff like that that just makes perfect sense. You got to do. Um, 12 was really fucking hard because 12, what do you do with 12? Like we didn't know what to do. Like, so we at least had a really cool logo. I thought that Sloan groovy seventies logo was really cool. Um, and that worked well in a t-shirt and well, well, worked well on his enamel button and other things like that. Um, but we're always open to what people suggest. And I normally get people suggesting stuff on tour, but at the same time, it's got to pass the mustard, uh, for us to basically say, Okay. Yeah, we'd want that, and yeah, we would. We could sell that because there are a lot of stuff that we could make. But if we're not gonna, if it's not gonna be well loved by the fans, then it's not worth our time. Like, and that's just because we want people to like what we make. So, and speaking of things that people desire, I know our buddy Aaron Pinto from a couple episodes ago is uh, is after a, a deck of cards. So it's hopefully some point in the future I can find one somewhere for him. I, but... I'm look, literally looking at it on my desk. I've got two of them sitting in front of me, so I can. Get I will. I know Aaron very well. He's an awesome guy. I will. I will keep one sitting there, and I'll literally write a 
post-it note on it that says Aaron. So I, next, I will make sure that he gets a, 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 oh, a set. I'm sure you're making it stay. That's oh, amazing. Sloan, Sloan is a family. Love it. Yeah, I exactly. love that we just made a Sloan, Sloan merch love connection there. Yeah. Um, do you, just out of curiosity, do you have any sort of personal Sloan tour memorabilia, memorabilia that's maybe particularly precious to you? Like something that either you really loved that how it turned out or something you found on the road that was related in the way, in some way to the band that you still have. Maybe it's on the desk and it's like, it's just like, it's a great memory. Um, I, it's funny you say that. I, I'll have to turn my. You can see this, but this was picked up. It's my Kiss Rock and Roll Over coffee mug. Oh, fantastic! Um, Amazing. I, I it's sitting on my desk now. But uh, probably my second tour, I basically knew that I needed to have a coffee mug because I'm a slave to caffeine. Uh, and on the bus, you don't have enough coffee mugs for everybody in the band. And so, typically, what ends up happening is you have a coffee mug, and if you use it somebody's probably going to confiscate it later for coffee or wine or beer or something. Um, so I bought one specifically so that people knew it was fucking mine. But more importantly, it was just one of those stupid things that was my second tour. It was on the, the twice removed tour. I bought it and I, I bring it home. And when it's at home, I, I put it on my desk. And when I'm on tour, it comes out with me. So that's one that's of those stupid great. things. And once again, it's Kiss. It goes back to... You know, what, yes, it doesn't. It's not lost on me that my one of my first conversations with Chris Murphy, we did talk about Kiss, and same thing with Patrick. So, like, there's that kinship in in Kissship, I should say. And I'm just picturing Chris in the 500 up video, flipping his bass upside down for a second. For yeah. a second, you can see the rock and roll over sticker. I love it. Yeah. Can you even read that sticker anymore? Is the sticker even legible? It's it's no. there, but no. it needs to be restored. We need to get Andrew to do a restoration. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally gone. So, and then the other, the other thing that I do have as a, as a memento is thanks to you, Rob, you gave me your Sloan belt buckle. Oh, wow. Amazing. You forget that? You gave me, you gave me the, no. the it's the logo <laughs> from a sides win. And you said, that's right. You said, Jay, I don't wear belts. Like you, I, you obviously wear belts all the time and I do. So you said here, here's, and so I, I, that's one of those merch items that I've never, ever, ever seen. You're the only one I've ever seen it on and you gave it to me. So. Yeah, I, I remember it's probably because I'm like, my waist is like a 38. So just a belt isn't doing anything. I like <laughs> my pants are holding the belt buckle up, you know? So, um, so I think, I, yeah, whenever I find anybody with some Sloan kinship or whatever, uh, I'll try to, you know, pass something along or whatever. And, and when I'll say for myself, one of the, my little mementos is when I did merch that time, uh, Kevin came up to me and was like, Hey man, I made you something. And it was like a little white headband and he had screen printed the Sloan, the old school Sloan logo, like on the inside of twice removed onto this little headband. And I was, and I still have it. And it's just like, Oh, I love yeah. it. It's so precious. Yeah. But truthfully, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I said, I come home from every tour with a stack of vinyl. I'm every freaking tour I go home and I amass a couple dozen copies of uh, or different vinyl that I find traditionally it's used. Traditionally, it's probably from the 70s or 80s. And mm-hmm. I try to pay as cheaply as possible for it. Um, but I have, you know, that's what Jay and I do. I, and I love to go record shopping with Jay. And just one of the stupid things that I do to keep myself sane on tour uh and at the same time i've I've gotten to know jay really well so it's great so just cycling back to what you said earlier uh, to kind of just give it up to you i mean you mentioned earlier about you know at the time when you sort of made the transition into the music biz you know you really kind of bet on yourself and you really put yourself out there so for somebody who's out there whether they're younger and kind of looking to get into music or whatever uh or just somebody who's like change want to changing want, wanting to change up their life and maybe get into music a little do you have any advice for that person who want who wants to maybe make a change in their life or even just some inspirational words to somebody who 
you know, doesn't really, is maybe a little lost. Yeah. I would say this, like I knew from that first record I bought that I would fell head over heels for music. Even before I was a musician, uh, seeing live music, the first show I ever went to was Cheap Tricks, Dream Police Tour. First time I saw live music, I was like, okay, this is it. Everything I've done has fallen into my interpretation, my translation, my communication with what music speaks to me and then others. So I always tell people, like, you have to stay true to what makes you you. Um, and for me, it was I knew when in artist management, you call it your hedgehog principle. And so for my hedgehog principle, the way that I work alongside Mike with Sloan is my job is to super serve the super fans. So that facilitates itself in a myriad of ways, but that's, I had to identify what I was really, really good at. And to be, I, we say this and I say this in my artist management class, you have to know that you are uniquely made to do one. You do, you do a lot of stuff. Great. But there's one thing that you do that nobody else can do. And you have to hone in on that. And if it's something to do with music or the music business, then you know you can find a way in. And truthfully, yeah, I, I made my way by just constantly asking questions and constantly making friends and meeting people. And, and I, then I kind of came up with, I think I could do this. And I know that I'm the only person that can do this. I'm going to do this. And, and that takes a lot of betting on yourself. Um, and there's going to be a lot of rejection. But that's absolutely no different than the four guys in Sloan making their first demo tape and having Chip Sutherland say, we need to find a label that wants to put you out. You know, we need to find somebody who wants to work with you. And there was a lot of rejection and there's always a rejection, you know, even leaving Geffen, there's rejection, right? But for somebody trying to get into the music industry, you have to really hone in on what specifically you want to do. And having taught music industry for the last eight years, the problem I have, or I should say what the problem that the most students have is they really don't know what they want. So my advice is really, really, with pure clarity, figure out what you want to do. Now, here's the great news. Sometimes that can evolve. Sometimes that can change. Um, and getting the job at the record label and then working for Bare Naked Ladies and then working for Sloan and then teaching music industry. And, you know, here's, here's a little news flash. I just started a record label. So, like, these things are happening because things always change, but I'm always true to what do I want to do and what can I do the best at? Um, and I don't, I, it's not that I don't take no for an answer because I do have to take no for an answer, but I just know that this is how that I have to be. And I've been so committed to music and the, the music industry and, and scenes and fans for so long that that's, I, I do that best. And to yeah. hear, hear people like yourselves appreciate that and, and, and tell me, you know, feedback. Hey, man, you were so nice at the merch table. Thank you so much. Like, that's, that's all. That, that, to me, is the benefit. Like, I know that I'm doing the best I can for those guys every night and hopefully making yeah. people happy. We're, we're both very thankful, not just for what you do, uh, working for the band and obviously getting their name out there in a way that um, wouldn't have been possible without your support in recent years. Not only for creating the experiences that you do create at live shows, and uh, that I've, you know, personally been able to savor over my last two visits to Canada, my last two Sloan shows, but also for being the genesis of this podcast, as I learned today, <laughs> and not having been able to do merch at the 2018 Phoenix show. So yeah. personal, yeah. thank you for that one. No, happy to. Yeah. Happy to and I speak, uh, obviously, on behalf of every listener when I say I think you are super serving the super fans with this guest spot today, sir. Absolutely. No. <laughs> 
I was excited. So, I told everybody in my family that I was doing this. I was so excited. They're like, really? That's so cool. It is. It's like, I, like I'm one of you guys, dudes. And it's just, I happen to now be inside and help the business stay afloat and move forward. And that's a, a huge benefit. But yeah, at the end of the day, I still get to go home and listen to the same songs that you guys do and get to, you know, when, when we put the B-sides out on vinyl, I was like, oh, finally, we're doing this. Thank God. You know, it's just, yeah. I'm excited too. So I appreciate it. And speak. And speaking of listening to songs, well, I'll just finish off with this thought. Is there a song from the sort of Sloan canon that you either haven't heard them play live or haven't heard in a while? And on an upcoming tour, let's say they're doing a new album and they've got a set of, you know, classics or sort of hidden gems. Is there a song in there where you're like, you know what? I really would love to hear X live. Haven't heard that in a while or I've never heard it. Well, because I love the first, I mean, obviously I came on board so early um, and I've seen now with the reunion or reissue tours, I've seen all those records in full. There isn't anything that I go, oh, I wish you. But I do find, and I, you hit on this earlier, Action Pack, Ken. Um, I am a huge fan for Action Packs in Action Pack in a live setting. Not that hmm. the record isn't a good one. It's just it's not a solid record to me because it misses Andrew. Um, sure. And I do think you know it goes down the pure rock lane. So th- there, there's some personality missing. As an experience, I don't think Action Packed is the best, but I love the Action Packed songs. So therefore, yeah. Ready For You, oh my God, every time that's played live, like mm. if you ever see me at the merch table, you're going to see me like singing and screaming and clapping and like any, anything from Action Packed gives me, yeah. I just, except for one song, I can't stand Backstabbing. Cannot stand Backstabbing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do not like it. Um, that's a mountain even, of like, annoying. But but even even uh, pretty together pretty together was not my favorite record, uh, mm. but yet I've as those songs have been pulled out, things like the Great Wall. Um, mm, uh, oh my god! That when I heard that live, I was like, oh, like so. I think those two records need to be experienced live for you to totally yeah. get the record. Um, yeah, and those are the only two albums I think that people have problems with when I talk to fans. Uh, but That's a lot right. of people love Pretty Together because you know it's got the other man on it. Um, mm. And that was an entry yeah. for a lot of fans. So yeah, we it's will a- be getting into that in more detail in our next uh, in our next episode of Sloancast. Nice. So fans, stay tuned. Yeah, pretty and together coming up. Yeah, pretty together coming up. Prospects of a possible pretty together box set in the next years. I'm <laughs> trembling here. Yeah, yeah, in the years. next years. Yeah. Well, well, the last thing I have to I have to say this because this is a super important info that really endeared me to these guys. When I started working with them, we started having conversations and my heart is for archival reissues and really telling the story in the full version of things. And just I'm a total nerd for that. Um, Chris and Jay are literally in battle for the the largest and the deepest archive of their own material. And so I love when I sit in a sitting in a cafe and we're talking about a, a reissue and it's like, well, I have this or oh, you do. Well, I have this. And it's like it is like two brothers bickering in a very, in a very loving way, but they challenge each other with what they have. And if you listen to the um, murder records podcast and they're going through, <laughs> they're going through their collection, you can hear it because Jay will go, well, I have that Chris, Chris, do you have that? Or, well, I think mine's a red copy. Ooh, I don't have that. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love that. that because it speaks to so much the love of each other 
the love of what they've created, but at the same time, they believe in it, right? So they believe in what they've done, and it's not at all for them to feel important. It's just they they truly do appreciate what they've built and created. And as a fan, I love that because that means that anything and everything is there. So that's the best news. I've never heard, well, we don't have a copy of that. Everything that they've ever done and every song that's ever been created it's in some form or fashion in the archives. And and so that means that we'll continue to have really cool reissues as we move forward. Amazing. Well, you can take yeah. my money guaranteed every year. I'm there. <laughs> it's that, it's that future. I'm a meme forever. Yeah. Take yeah. my money, man. Yeah, well, Jay, thanks so much for being on the, on this episode. It has been such a pleasure. Uh, so kind to join us today. Uh, any final thoughts at all? Anything you'd like to leave us with right no, here at the I end? Just, I would say this, like, um, Seriously, anybody that's listening to this, if you have not taken the time to introduce yourselves, just introduce yourselves. I joined uh, on on the Facebook group. There's a, I forget what, I think it's the Sloan cast, not the Sloan cast. It's the Sloan selection group. Yep. I went ahead that's and just right. threw my... I threw myself into it and basically said, please let, let everybody know I'm here. Um, I truly do feel like the conduit between the fans and the band. And so if there's ever a question or a concern or feedback, like I take that very seriously. So don't ever hesitate to, to reach out to me uh, at the merch table. Um, and on social media, you can find me, you know, music geek J on Instagram. Uh, and you can always find me on Facebook and stuff, but um, yeah, just, I, I want to be, I want to be there for fans it's a great, it's a great tool for us to have that connection to the fans. And I don't, don't ever feel like you guys are ever step overstepping your boundaries to ask me a question. Uh, that's just, that's, that's not true. Uh, just don't, you know, don't be shy and just please introduce yourself. And I, I don't bite and I'm sure that we'll have a great conversation. Amazing. And, and where can we hear the violets? Is that available anywhere online? Yes, it is. It's all over. Yeah. Go to Spotify, go to, go to Apple. Yeah. I was just, you know, I was the third drummer in that band. Uh, but the last sessions that we did were with David Barbie and David Barbie was the bass player in sugar, um, mm. Bob Mould's band. Um, yep. but that, that band, yeah, that band was just, we were a scrappy little power pop punk band. Um, we weren't, we weren't a punk, we weren't a punk pop or pop punk band, but we were a power pop punk band. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was fun. I loved it. And so you can hear me play drums, on on that material by digging us up on on there. there there's a collection called athens georgia 1988 to 1992 um that we put out for record store day and that lives digitally too so you can find that checking that out thanks man that's awesome cool man yeah all right all right guys great having jay on the show today thank you for listening don't forget to check out the murder records podcast obviously and murder records hq on instagram sloan cast on instagram and uh, we will see you listener next time uh when we chat with uh well we'll see if we'll save our guests as a little bit of a secret here but you know what we're gonna be talking about pretty together like ken said earlier so we will see you on the next episode uh we'll talk to you then thank you very much have a good one hope your dreams have come true 